The following sermon, entitled Loving Jehovah for Hearing Prayer, was preached on the evening of April 2nd, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this evening to Psalm 116. Sure, many of you noticed that tonight's sermon is not a Heidelberg Catechism sermon. And the explanation for that is some of the elders encourage me to make use of an available sermon for this service so that my family and I could join uh, those who were camping this past week to spend time with my family and with the congregation. So tonight we turn to Psalm 116. The text for this evening's sermon will be the first two verses, though really we'll spend considerable time on the first four. Let's read the whole psalm to begin with, though. Psalm 116, I love the Lord, because He hath heard my voice and my supplications, because He hath inclined His ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech Thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and He helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, truly I am Thy servant. I am Thy servant and the son of Thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to Thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of His people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of the O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this evening's sermon is the first two verses. I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications, because He hath inclined His ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. If we are honest with ourselves as Christians, there are two things that are often lacking in our hearts and lives. 
love for God and prayers to God. Certainly, Scripture calls us to both of those. Scripture calls us to love our God. That's the summary of the law which our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us. We are to love Him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And a part of that love is to be expressed in a life of prayer. The expectation of the child of God is that prayer is a regular part of our lives. But if we're honest with ourselves, these two things are often lacking. For instead of love within our hearts, there's often a cold indifference towards God, or perhaps even worse, an outright hatred for Him. And along with that, there is a lack of prayer. For we will never go to a God in prayer whom we do not love fervently with our hearts. So we find these things lacking. So what then is the remedy? The remedy is to be reminded of all that our God has done for us, especially in hearing and answering our prayers. And that's what Psalm 116 reminds us of. For you see, within Psalm 116, we find within the psalmist the two things that are often so lacking within ourselves. For when the psalmist penned the words of Psalm 116, his heart was full of love. He states at the very beginning, I love the Lord. And with that love for the Lord came a desire to pray to this God as he states at the end of verse 2, therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. And if we step back and ask the question, what explains why the psalmist's heart was so full of love for God at that moment and he had this desire to continue in prayer? The explanation is that on the forefront of his mind was what God had done for him in delivering him and specifically in answer to his prayer. So that the lesson for us is that what's going to drive a a heart of love and a life of prayer in our lives is going back and reminding ourselves of what He's done for us. And it's with that in mind that we consider Psalm 116, the first two verses using as our theme, loving the Lord for hearing prayer. First, we'll look at the reason for love. Second, at the declaration of love. And then third, the expression of love. Loving Jehovah for hearing prayer. The reason for love. The declaration of love. And then the expression of love. Psalmist, in Psalm 116, expresses his love for God. And he had a reason for doing so. Because God had heard and answered his prayer. And now the psalmist had cried out unto God in a time of need, specifically when he was facing the prospect of physical death. And we say that especially in light of verse 3. In verse 3 we read this, The sorrows of death compass me, 
The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. The psalmist says, first of all there, the sorrows of death compass me. Literally, the cords, the, the snares of death are what he's speaking of. So that the psalmist felt as though death had grabbed a hold of him with its tentacles and was dragging him down. And he says these cords, these snares, compassed him. He felt completely surrounded. Every escape route was cut off. And thus, we understand why the King James translates it the way it does the sorrows of death. Because with death seemingly so close, the the psalmist experienced great sorrow. Next, he says in verse 3, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. Hell is the grave, the place where men go when they die. And he speaks of the pains of hell because he has in view the the terrors, the, the distress associated with the prospect of going to the grave. He says these pains of the grave get hold upon him. So that the idea is that the psalmist felt as though he was being hunted down by some enemy that wanted nothing more than to pin him to the ground sink his teeth into him and hold on to him. That was the psalmist's experience. And thus he says what he does at the end of verse 3, I found trouble and sorrow. Literally, I found out. That is, I experienced trouble and sorrow. He knew the anguish, the despair, and the horror of facing death. So that for the psalmist, the occasion for his cry unto God was that he was facing the prospect of physical death. If the psalmist was David, like men such as Calvin and Spurgeon simply assume, then perhaps the psalm was written one of those times that he was on the run for his life. His enemies pursuing after him. We do not know who wrote Psalm 116. Perhaps it was someone else. But if it was someone else, then this individual was perhaps on his deathbed. Maybe on account of some sickness or on account of an injury. Regardless of who wrote these words, for the psalmist, death seemed both imminent and certain. The psalmist felt as though he had already one foot in the grave and there was no hope of escape. That was the occasion for the psalmist to cry out unto God. And now admittedly, there is no one here tonight who is that close to death. At least from a physical point of view. But that does not mean that the psalm has no application for us. For though physical death for most of us may seem something that's off in the future, there is still the reality of spiritual death. And that's the application that we need to make when we come to a psalm like this. The application is spiritual. Because the reality is that every one of us deserves death on account of the fall of Adam into sin. God told Adam in the garden, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And thus when Adam sinned. 
he became liable to death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. That was really the main thing in view. And because we are descendants of Adam who are guilty in Adam, we, by nature, deserve the same thing. Now praise be to God that as those who are in Christ Jesus, we no longer need to fear spiritual death in the sense of going to hell. Because as Romans 8 verse 1 teaches us, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. But that said, there's still application for us because on the one hand, whenever we sin, we experience the guilt of sin. And a part of that guilt of sin is that understanding that on account of what I have done, what I deserve is nothing less than death. And that, that guilt can weigh upon us like a heavy burden so that even though there is no condemnation for us in Christ, nevertheless, there's still that frightening prospect of spiritual death. And the devil wants nothing more than to convince us that's what's in fact coming to us. So there's application when we have committed some sin, but there's also application when we're tempted to some sin. Because when we're tempted to some sin, the reality is that our spiritual enemies want nothing more than to drag us down to spiritual death. We have that spiritual enemy, the devil, that roaring lion who hunts after us. Who wants to pounce upon us, pin us to the ground, sink his teeth into our hearts, and hold on to us. And that's when we're tempted because our enemies want spiritual death for us. There's likewise application in this psalm. And it's in those times that we are to do the very same thing that the psalmist did. He prayed. He cried out unto the Lord for deliverance. And that's evident from verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord because He heard my voice and my supplications because he hath inclined his ear unto me. The psalmist prayed. And in, Psalm, and in verse 1, we read of two different words that he uses with reference to his prayer. He first of all says, because he hath heard my voice. Indicating that the psalmist prayed out loud. He used his vocal cords to utter his prayer to God. But what is it more, by speaking of his prayer in that way as his voice, likely this is also telling us the type of prayer that the psalmist prayed. That sort of broken prayer. That cry in a moment of need. A prayer that's perhaps not well formulated, but a prayer that comes from the heart. And what is more, for the psalmist to speak of using his voice probably also indicates that there were other noises, other sounds that the human vocal cords are capable of making that accompanied his prayer, such as the sound of crying, shouting, weeping, sighing. The psalmist used his voice. Next, he speaks of his supplications because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. The root 
idea of that word supplications is the word grace so that we understand a supplication is a prayer for God's grace. A supplication is the request of someone in a position of need crying out to someone who's in a position to help. And notice the psalmist speaks of his supplications plural. He cried out again and again beseeching God for grace even though he understood that he was not worthy of it. psalmist prayed in his time of need. And we're told more specifically about his prayer in verse 4, for example. Then call by upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech Thee, deliver my soul. Likely that's the very heart of the prayer, if not the prayer that the psalmist prayed. O Lord, I beseech Thee, deliver my soul. And when he speaks of his soul, he's using that word as a synonym for his life as a whole so that he's asking God, to preserve him. To deliver him from physical death. And by adding those words, I beseech thee, he's expressing the, the urgency, the earnestness of this prayer. The psalmist prayed when he faced the prospect of death. And we are to do the same. Whether it's on account of having committed some sin and we experience the guilt of sin, or whether it's on account of being tempted to some sin, the encouragement of this Word of God is to likewise call out to our God. And maybe that means using our voices, praying out loud at times. For doing so can be a help Certainly, we are never to pray in order to be heard by others. But it's good at times that we use our vocal cords and speak our prayers out loud. And when we pray like the psalmist, we pray supplications. That's not the whole of our prayers, but our prayers include supplications. That is, prayers for God's grace. Includes prayers for His forgiving grace. So that having committed some sin, my prayer is, God, wash away my sin. Remove my sin from me as far as east is from the west. Do not hold me accountable to pay the debt that I owe for my sin. But we pray not just for His forgiving grace. We pray for His sanctifying grace, His enabling grace, His transforming grace. Especially in that hour of temptation. When the devil and our spiritual enemies are seeking to lead us astray. To drag us down into a pit. We pray like the psalmist, Lord, deliver my soul. Rescue me from my spiritual enemies. That's our prayer. And we can pray that with the confidence that our God is the God who hears and answers our prayers. That's really what's in view here. Not so much the psalmist's prayer itself, but the psalmist is giving thanks to God because God has heard his prayer. I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications because He hath inclined His ear unto me. The psalmist was able to say that God heard His voice. Reminding us that this God is not like the idol gods that are described in the previous psalm. 
Psalm 115, verse 6 says, they, that referring to idol gods, have ears, but they hear not. Jehovah God is not like that. He is able to hear us. And that He hears us means so much more than that He perceives the sound of our voice. But that He hears us means He receives our prayers. He answers our prayers. And specifically, when the psalmist says he heard this prayer, prayer for deliverance means God responded. God took action and did indeed deliver him. Unless the psalmist adds in verse 2, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. It's really a beautiful expression. Because the idea of that phrase, he inclined his ear unto me, is that God bent down, as it were, from His glory, from His grandeur, in order to hear the feeble prayer of the psalmist. So that we can picture a loving Father getting down on one knee to place His ear right next to the mouth of His soft-spoken child. That's what it means that God inclines His ear to our prayers. And He did that for the psalmist. And that He delivered him from the physical death that he was facing. We do not know the circumstances, but somehow, some way, God preserved his life. And really, it's for that reason that there are some who argue that this must be a psalm written by Hezekiah. For God added 15 years to his life when he cried out to God in a time of need when he faced the prospect of physical death. Again, we do not know who wrote the psalmist. Maybe it was Hezekiah. Either way, God heard his prayer and delivered him. And so too, God hears and answers our prayers. So when we cry out for forgiveness, He forgives. He declares to our souls that there is forgiveness to be found with Him. And when we cry out to Him for deliverance, He hears and answers that prayer too. And God does this for Jesus' sake. God hears and answers our prayers on the basis of the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's the only explanation. Because of ourselves, we have no right to go to Jehovah God, approach His throne of grace, to make known some petition, and expect Him to answer us. Quite the opposite. The only thing that we could expect when appearing before this great God is to be met by this God who is a consuming fire. The thing that we deserve from Him is punishment for our sin. We deserve death. But the good news of the Gospel is that Christ has delivered us from that by taking the punishment that we deserve and bearing it Himself. So that when we come to Psalm 116, verse 3, and what the psalmist experienced, we have to recognize really that points us to what our Savior experienced throughout the entirety of His life. Is our Savior who could truly say, the sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold 
upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Really, that was his experience his entire life long. Death was ever looming before him. And that was true especially toward the end of his life. As he drew nearer and nearer to the cross of Calvary. And like the psalmist, he too called upon God. He lifted up his voice and his supplications. And he did so, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where his voice was heard. Not just the words that came out of his mouth that are recorded for us on the pages of Scripture, but other sounds that the human vocal cords are capable of making. For he prayed with strong tears and crying according to Hebrews 5, verse 7. He called out unto God and said, if it be possible, let this cup pass. But there was no answer. There was no deliverance. Because there was no other way for Him to accomplish our salvation but by continuing. But by going to the cross and experiencing the fullness of death. Not just the prospect of death, but the reality of it. So that on the cross of Calvary, the cords, the snares of death, not only surround Him, but were, did indeed drag Him down. So that the pains of the grave laid hold upon Him. And He found out He experienced trouble and sorrow. He died physically and spiritually. But He did all this in order to deliver us from the punishment we deserve for our sin. And it's on the basis of that work then that God will hear and answer us when we cry out unto Him. It's on the basis of Christ's work that when we pray, Father, forgive me of this sin or that sin, I feel the weight of guilt pressing down upon me. Release me from the responsibility to pay. God answers that prayer because Christ endured the punishment. He paid the debt. And so it is with our prayers for deliverance in the hour of temptation. When the devil seeks to lead us astray, when we cry out, Lord, deliver me. Keep me from stumbling into that sin once again. Well, the strength, the grace to resist that temptation is found in Christ alone. It's only because Jesus Christ resisted and we're given the Spirit of Christ that there's ever, ever any deliverance from temptation for us. It's on the basis of Christ's work that God hears and answers our prayer.
And now is this not encouragement to pray? Child of God, there is help for those of us who are helpless. For we have a sympathetic Savior who runs to our cries when we call out unto Him. And on the basis of His saving work, our God hears our prayers. Even if all that we can muster is a broken prayer, a short burst of words in a time of need, a a prayer that is not well formulated, but a prayer from the heart nonetheless. God hears those prayers. God inclines His ear unto us. He hears the most feeble prayers that we utter for our God is not hard of hearing. He hears that prayer that we utter on our bed when we cannot sleep at night on account of the stress and the anxiety of what's going on in our lives. He hears that prayer that a mother in the home presses through her lips as she weeps, as she sighs on account of all the difficulties of raising the children and being a faithful wife. He hears the prayers of a father as he struggles in leading his family spiritually and cries out for help because he knows he's failed so miserably time and time again. Our God hears. He inclines His ear unto us. And that's encouragement to pray. To approach His throne of grace with confidence, with boldness even. Knowing that for the sake of our Savior Jesus Christ, God will hear us. But now, not only is that encouragement to pray, it's really the reason to love our God and to declare our love for Him. Because that's what the psalmist does. The psalmist makes a declaration of his love. That's where the psalm begins with those first few words, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. The psalmist declares his love. He says, I love the Lord. And to love someone is to desire that person and to take delight in that person. That comes out, that desire for the desire of love comes out from the particular word that's used here in the Hebrew language, which means literally to breathe after. It expresses the, the longing, the, the yearning for the object of one's love. So that love seeks, it pursues its object. Love wants nothing more than to be able to say of someone else, he or she is mine. But now with that desire, there's delight. 
Love rejoices in its object. It finds satisfaction in being with that person so that there's a desire for fellowship with this person and a delight in spending time and speaking with the object of one's love. And we have an example of that type of love in the book of the Song of Solomon. For example, in Song of Solomon 4, verse 9, we read this, Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. That's Solomon speaking to his bride as a type of Christ speaking to his church. And Solomon says to his bride, You've ravished my heart. You've captivated my heart. It, it beats faster when I'm around you, when I think about you. My love for you is so great that I, I struggle with the words to use in order to express my love. That's the love that the psalmist has in view when he says what he does at the beginning of verse 1. I love the Lord. But now notice whom he loves. I love the Lord. The Lord in all capital letters indicating this is Jehovah. He uses the personal name of our God, which is fitting because it's only a personal God that we can have a relationship with. But what is more, He uses the covenantal name of our God. The, the name that drives home that glorious truth that this is the God who has established His covenant with us so that we are His people and He is our God. And it's about this God that the psalmist says what he does in verse 5, for example. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord is gracious. That is, He shows favor to us who deserve the opposite. And He does so willingly. He does so freely. He shows kindness to us as people. He's righteous. That is, He only ever does that which is right. He can never be accused of any wrongdoing. As for our God, His ways are perfect. And finally, the psalmist says of him in verse 5 that he's merciful. That is, he has pity. He has compassion upon us. And in his pity, he, he helps us. He, he lifts us up out of our misery. And he blesses us. And now the psalmist says, I love the Lord. Jehovah, he's the object of my love. He's the one I desire. He's the one that I take delight in. And understand that God is worthy of such love. He's worthy of it simply on account of who He is. If all that we knew about our God were those three attributes in verse 5, that He's gracious, righteous, and merciful, that would be enough. That would be sufficient reason to love this God. But though that's true, that's not the primary reason that the psalmist declares his love. The reason is because this God had heard and answered his prayer. So that it's not so much who God is, but what God had done for the psalmist in delivering him. Because the psalmist says, I love the Lord because. 
because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. He's stating the reason for his love. And it points us back to everything we said in the first point. We started with the reason. And all that God had done in hearing and answering the psalmist's prayer and delivering the psalmist from physical death. The psalmist is looking back on that, what God has done. And for that very reason, he declares his love for this great God. And in that, there's a reminder that our love for God is always a response to his love for us. For you see, for God to hear and answer the prayer of the psalmist was an expression of God's love for the psalmist. That's what we have to to see in this. And thus, for the psalmist now to declare his love back to God is for the psalmist to respond to God's love which came first. So that embedded into this psalm is the truth of 1 John 4, verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. And really, this is one of God's purposes in loving us. To draw our love out for Him. He creates that love within us. There would be no love in our hearts apart from His work of grace. But He not only creates that love within our hearts, He he showers that love. He encourages that love by continuing to Continuing His work of grace in our hearts and lives by continuing to hear and answer our prayers. Even as He did for the psalmist. So the psalmist was led to say, I love the Lord. Is there any of that love in you, child of God? Can we say from the heart tonight, Jehovah God is the object of my desire. He's the one whom I yearn for. And He is the one in whom I find my greatest possible delight, my joy, my satisfaction, my happiness. Or have our hearts grown cold? Have we become indifferent toward Him? Have we become so preoccupied with the things of this life that there's little room left in our hearts for our God? Or are we so consumed by the cares of this life that we hardly give a thought to Him. And maybe one way to gauge that question is to ask a follow-up question. When was the last time that you or I told Him, I love you? Because understand, that's what the psalmist is doing here. This is a declaration of love. 
The psalmist is saying, I love the Lord. And whether he's saying it to someone else or directly to Jehovah God makes no difference. He's, he's stating he loves the Lord. And that's so important because that's a part of love. As every married couple here knows, those who are wives in the congregation need to hear from their husbands, I love you. And even if the husband is showing his love, she still wants to hear the words. She still wants to receive the declaration, I love you. Because that's a part of what it means to be in a loving relationship. And God has revealed, He's declared His love for us in the giving of His Son to die at the cross of Calvary. And shall we not then declare our love for Him by saying to Him in prayer, I love Thee, O Lord. And understand, we have good reason to do so. Because God has heard and answered our prayers. Because He's delivered us from the spiritual death that we deserve. And really, He did so apart from our prayer. Before we ever uttered a prayer, before we ever even had that desire in our heart, That's the wonder of our salvation. Here in Psalm 116, this deliverance is is linked to the psalmist's prayer so that it's in direct answer to the psalmist's prayer. Not that the psalmist's prayer changed God's mind. He was going to let him die and now the psalmist prayed and I suppose I'll take it back. That's not the idea. But the reality is that God's plan all along was to deliver the psalmist from death. And he ordained that that would happen as answer to the psalmist's prayer that God Himself worked in the heart of the psalmist. But the point being, for the psalmist, this deliverance from physical death came in answer to his prayer. But the reality is that our deliverance from spiritual death is something that happened before we ever once cried out to God. Because in eternity, God ordained, He determined to send His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to deliver us from our sin and from our misery. And it's even before we desire salvation that He's already given it to us. For apart from His Spirit working in our hearts, there would be no desire for deliverance from spiritual death. We would be happy to plunge headlong into spiritual ruin. But our God works powerfully, irresistibly. He gives us new life. He gives us the gift of faith. And He works within us to cry out unto Him. But that cry out unto our God is really the evidence, the fruit of His work of grace that He's already performed within us. And when we step back and consider that, that then is the encouragement to love this God. To say to this God, 
You ravish my heart. You captivate my heart. It beats faster when I think about You. You are the object of my desire. You are the One in whom I delight. So let us declare our love to Him. Knowing His great love for us. Then let us also express that love in a life of prayer to our God. For that's how the psalmist intended to express His love. Thankful that God had heard His prayer and having declared His love for Jehovah, the psalmist indicates that he intended to express his love for God by a life of prayer. That's the end of verse 2. Backing up to verse 1, we read, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications because He hath inclined His ear unto me. Therefore, will I call upon Him as long as I live. And now the psalmist says this as one who had a desire to express, to show, to manifest his love toward God. And that's evident from verse 12. In verse 12 we read this, What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? The psalmist is thinking of all these benefits, including deliverance from death. And he says, what shall I render unto the Lord? And understand, it's not expressing a lack of desire to render something, but a lack of the proper means to do so. The psalmist is searching for the best possible way to express his love and his gratitude to God. For he understands that there's nothing that we can, there's no way we can pay God back. There's nothing that we have that God has not given us, and there's nothing that God himself lacks. And so the psalmist is wondering how can I possibly show, express my love for this God? And in the end, he decides, I'll pray to him. The end of verse 2, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The psalmist is expressing his intention, his resolve to continue to go to Jehovah God. And that certainly includes continuing to go to Him in time of need. Beseeching Him for grace, for help. But it also includes prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of praise. Because prayer is not limited to only our supplications, our petitions, but prayer is an expression of our gratitude. Really, the Heidelberg Catechism tells us it's the, the chief means of gratitude. What is more, this includes singing. Because after all, this is a psalm. These words were penned with the intent that they would be sung. And that too is a part of how we call upon our God as an expression of our love and gratitude toward Him. Now what's so astounding is that our God is pleased with this. And not just the prayers of thanksgiving and praise, but even the prayers of calling out for help again and again. God is pleased with that. And I say that's so astounding because think about it from an earthly point of view. 
If you were to help a beggar on the street by giving him what he stood in need of, giving him some money perhaps, and then that beggar came to you and said, because of what you've done, I'm going to keep coming to you again and again and again. I'm never going to stop calling upon you. Well, I'm quite confident that none of us would be too pleased with that individual. We would be probably quite annoyed with that, that individual. I've helped you once. Now leave me alone. Go away. But it's not the case with our God. Our God delights in helping spiritual beggars. And not just once, not just twice, but again and again and again. Because having received help from Him, for us then to say, I'm going to continue to call upon you is an expression of our complete dependence on Him. Our recognition that I have no strength in and of myself. I'm, I'm helpless if left to myself. I need Thy grace. Thy strength. And what is more, it's an expression of our desire for communion with Him. To be near to our God. To speak with our God. So that this is indeed pleasing to our God when in response to His love for us and the deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ, we then resolve by God's grace with the psalmist to continue to pray to Him. And to pray to Him all of our days. That's the language in, at the end of verse 2. Therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. Literally, the psalmist says, all of my days. And that's really stronger than saying as long as I live. Because all of my days implies each and every single day. I'm not going to go a day without praying to my God. And this too is a good example for us. Because the temptation for us is that having received from God the thing that we asked for, it can happen that we are then no longer inclined to pray to Him. Or we find ourselves praying only certain days, only when it's convenient for us, or only when there's a pressing, urgent need. Or maybe our prayer life has so deteriorated that we hardly pray at all anymore. And maybe have even reached the point that we do not view it as needful. Child of God, whatever your struggle with prayer is, consider what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Consider His love in sending His Son as our mediator through whom we can go to Him with the confidence that He will hear and answer us. Consider all the prayers that you have prayed which God has answered in turn. So when there was that cry in deep distress, grant me grace sufficient for this time of need. And then He does exactly that. 
And He gets us through that difficulty, through that trial. That's reason to love this God and to keep going back to Him again and again in prayer. So may God use this Word to fill our hearts with gratitude for what He has done for for us so that we too lift up our voices and our supplications and do so as an expression of our love for this God. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we love Thee. And we love Thee because Thou hast first loved us. And because Thou hast shown Thy love to us in the sending of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. And when we meditate upon this truth by faith, our hearts are filled with love. But even as we declare our love to Thee, we humbly acknowledge that we do not love Thee as we ought. And we pray that Thou wouldst forgive us for that lack of love. And that Thou wouldst stir up within us an ever deeper and and an ever greater love for Thee, our God. Let that be the fruit of Thy Word as it's preached and of this specific sermon. Hear this prayer and incline Thy ear unto us for Jesus' sake. Amen.